This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by Alex Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. And that's what I'll be doing while you're trying to, like, you know, follow Andy Reid into an elevator or whatever. So, peak following Andy Reid into an elevator. All right, we're going to catch up on Evan's elbow rubbing here in a little bit, but it is the Catch-22 podcast on Patriots.com, Combine Week. Alex Barth in the host chair today. Evan is here, but he is in Indianapolis. we got a lot to get to. You want to join us, 855-PATS-500, Patriots at webradio.com. Evan, how are your elbows? Are they rubbed? How do they look? How do they look? They're, they're pretty rubbed at His this sweatshirt's point. all worn out, folks. The other day, uh, yet uh, two days ago, I-, I was sitting at a table at Prime 47, as you do in Indianapolis, and uh, Ian Rappaport sat down next to us. So you had rap sheet in in our area as well. Some other couple of people, you know. I think that's it's cool. It- it's a cool part of the combine for fans of the game as well as uh, reporters like like us, where you're just walking down the hallway. And I'm walking down the hallway one way and Sean Payton's walking down the same hallway and you just kind of say a quick hello. You know, I'm not trying to go up to him and talk to him too much about football or anything like that. But it's just everybody's here. Uh, We were just surrounded by a bunch of different people, media people, NFL people. It's a it's NFL spring break. That's what I always call it. It's just a, a summit for everybody in the NFL in one place. Well, Evan is certainly starstruck by uh, a lot of the coaches and GMs, but we're going to get to the players who are there. So we've already had uh, two rounds of player media availability. So that's, you know, we kind of find out who's meeting with what teams or whatever. First workouts coming up. We'll be off the air as those begin. I think it's 3 o'clock Eastern, right, is when the first yes. workouts begin. And that will be defensive linemen and linebackers today. It will be cornerbacks tomorrow. I believe it's running backs and offensive linemen on Saturday, right? And then they saved the best for last, which is wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks. That's what everybody really wants. I, I think to you say. have that flip-flop. Do I have that uh, flip-flop? Right. Wide receivers are Saturday, uh, O-line, and running backs are Sunday. Okay, well, so the offense is, is, is the second two days of workouts. So we don't have any workouts to go off of, uh, Evan, but already a ton of news, a ton of, of news coming out of the combine. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? We got well, so many directions. To I, I want to start with two big picture things. One related directly to the Patriots, and I'm interested to get your take on it, Alex. And the other thing is more a big picture takeaway as it relates to the draft. So let's start with the Patriots. It has now been reported. It's now out there that Bill Belichick is not here in Indianapolis. And, and this is becoming a lot more popular around the league. Uh, teams like the Rams don't even show up. Not, not even their GM is here. I don't believe Les Snead is even here at the Combine. So I think the biggest reason why this is becoming a little bit more popular is because free agency is so close to the Combine that it's difficult to do all the homework that you need to do from a veteran market standpoint and do the Combine all at once. So I think that there's a lot more of that going on, but I think the main thing is is that Macro is reportedly again here running the ship for the Patriots, and I I have a positive spin on it for the most part. But Alex, I'm interested to hear your opinion on it of Bill Belichick maybe being a little bit more hands off on the draft and allowing Macro, Elliot Wolf, and Cameron Williams and the staff do his thing. Well, I think whoever you are. Your opinion depends on what you think of Matt Groh, because I think that it signals that Matt Groh is getting more agency, at least when it comes to the draft. He is the director of player personnel, so he technically oversees, and when I say oversees, I mean under the the general manager that is Bill Belichick. He oversees both. uh, uh, So you have a director of pro personnel who handles like free agency trades, things like that. You have, I forget what the, the... college one is called it's director of so they they just call it director of college scouting college scouting okay you also have elliot wolf who's just director of scouting maybe more his role i think is more about pro personnel exact type of role but 
in general, he's he's the number two, and then you have Cam Williams, so, who's the college scouting director, right. as, as that. But so generally, and and again, the Patriots setup's a little different because the head coach is the general manager. But the way teams are generally set up, and these titles can vary. We all know how teams like to change the titles and and one up each other. But you have your director of pro personnel, which is free agency and trades, some sort of guy who's the equivalent for the draft and college scouting, and that. And then you have the director of player personnel, who's essentially the GM's number two. Who, who both of those two, both of those two people report to. That's what Matt Groh's title, and, and we don't know for sure how yes. they work every little thing. But that's Matt Groh's title. But it seems like in this, he came from um, a scouting background, a college uh, personnel background, and it yes. to me, him being there tells me that they are kind of to an extent, putting the, the draft process in his hands, or at least the preparation process for the draft in his hands. I don't know that th- this means he gets carte blanche say on picks, but in terms of, Evan, you say it all the time, right? It's a fact-finding mission, the combine? Yes. He is the one in charge of finding the facts. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the positive spin that I'll put on it is I think that we're trending towards a direction. I know Mike Reese had in his Sunday notes last week that macro – was also the one signing off on contracts, player contracts now yeah. as well, Slater's contract, uh, I assume Connor McDermott's contract as well, if that deal is done. And I, I think a lot of what this is pointing towards is that Macro's influence is growing in the front office. And I would also say that it might be his draft board. It might be his draft board. And I know Bill Belichick is always going to have the influence and always going to have final say and is always going to be there in the process. But if it's truly macro's board where Bill is maybe saying to macro, we need this, 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 and this, find me the best this, this, and this in the draft, right? And if that's the case, I think that's a good thing for the Patriots because it's a a little bit of uh, fresh perspective. It's a younger perspective, uh, and it's someone that grew up, like you said, in the scouting way of life right that was right. that was how he he grew up and his in background the, in the for league, lack so. of a better term his background's an amateur player personnel not not pro personnel correct in college scouting so yeah i, I think that that's a, a big i, I he's a draft guy now. he's a draft guy through he's and through guy. his and i have his i have his resume right here came in as a scouting assistant then was an area scout then was a national scout in 2021 was the director of college scouting and then he moved into his current role, which is his first non-full scout, uh, non-full college-related role last year. Right, and so maybe this was the plan all along, right? Maybe this they knew that that he had this scouting background, and he was somebody that was very involved in the college game and understood the college game. And Bill handles more free agency trades, the veteran market, and macro has the board. And like I said, I think that. And, and I, this is all just conjecture. I, I'm not saying that this is, you know, information or anything like that. But I think what I'm hoping is happening here is what I just said. Bill says to him, Matt, we need a corner with some size. We need a receiver. We need a tackle maybe. And you go out and you find me the highest rated players at those three positions that you guys have. Which it's funny you put it that way because I've always felt like as long as we've done a show together, that's kind of how the show works during draft season. You are the film guru. Like, you're the one who can get into the nuts and bolts of the player archetypes. I like to think of myself as somebody who understands team building pretty well. So I say, hey, they need this, 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 and this. And then you come along and say, well, this guy I saw on tape does this. So, you know, funny how that works out, isn't it? Uh, It's a little, you know, you're you're shopping for the groceries still if you're Bill Belichick, but you're you're allowing somebody else to to do the legwork, which I, I think is a good approach. Well, what you're doing is like, you know, uh, take frozen pizzas, for example. You know, there's all the different brands of frozen pizza. You want a frozen pizza, but he's just looking to see which brand. You know, he's having asked somebody else for advice on which brand he should get. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, I did not mean to compare future NFL athletes to frozen pizza, but you get what I'm saying. Shopping well, for the groceries, that hopefully analogy. Hopefully it's some, like, Ilios or something like that that they end up getting. Oh, you're, uh, you're an Elio's guy? Of course, yes. Uh, Elio's, is, Elio's is fine. I don't know. I like uh, Mystic Pizza. The frozen Mystic pizzas. Those okay. are great. I mean, if you you, I feel like if you grew up in New England in the '90s, you're an Elio's guy. I know. I ate a lot of Elio. Maybe it's because I ate too much of it that it just like didn't. It stopped wowing me. Anyway, I just you know I got the little sections. All right, yeah, we're we're that's that's or, a that's a 
that's an uh, true off-season topic. We're, we're off the rails. Uh, so the the Belichick report, him not being at the combine, uh, came from uh, a, a report from Chad Graff of the Athletic. The other thing Chad had in his column this morning was that uh, what the Patriots' plans are at wide receiver, and it sounds like they'd rather go the veteran route than use that 14th pick. Now we've talked a lot about the wide receivers in this class, Evan. How do you feel about that? You know where I've been on the wide receivers for, I would say, a week or two now. And that that's – I'll use the phrasing lukewarm. Like, I, I'm not 100% sold on any of these receivers as targets at 14 in the first round. I think if you're the Patriots in their history at the wide receiver position in the draft, if you were going to draft a receiver that high up in the draft, you better be sure about it. Like, you have that has to be like a home run type of player. I, I understand that that doesn't always last till 14, but a guy that I would really give a, an example of is somebody like Justin Jefferson or CD lamb, right. Who did last to later uh, in the middle of the four, first round. It would have been on the board at 14 at the Patriots well, were picking in those drafts. But don't we also have to consider the fact that those were better receiver classes? Yeah. And, and I think that that's where I'm at is that you're looking at, a board where you're yes you maybe jordan addison or zay flowers or jackson smith and jigba is number one on your board it's wide receiver one and you're getting him at 14 which is some value potentially but i think what you're looking at is that in general uh, these guys all have flaws to their game i mean there's a report out there right now alex and i I, I, we're talking him, to him tomorrow, and I'm really fascinated to see what uh, we can get out of him on this, that Jackson Smith and Jigba is not running the 40 in Indianapolis. He's not running right. at the combine. There's also a report uh, out there that he potentially might not run a 40 at all. Okay? And if so, he's not going to run— Let me just add context to that real quick. I actually saw somebody say this last night, and I looked it up. Ohio State's one of the few schools where the 40 times at the pro day— are actually slower than the 40 times at the combine. Right, right. So maybe the case, and maybe we can get a an an answer out of him about this tomorrow. Maybe the case, maybe he's not 100 percent yet because he did have those nagging injuries at Ohio State last year, and he doesn't want to run the 40 at less than 100 percent. But I think an optimistic view for JSN in the 40 would have been a high 4-4, low 4-5 time. So if that's the optimistic view and he doesn't even want to run, then that tells me that he's actually closer to like a four six. And then look, I, I I don't I think he I think Smith and Jigba is a better player. But and we talked about this on the last show, Evan, you look at a guy like David Bell last year, who was projected to be a first round pick, ran a four six something. Right. And then was a, was a third four six five. And then was a third-round pick. Almost fell to the fourth round. He was the 99th pick overall. And look, I'm not saying that, you know, maybe Njigba's confident in his abilities and he knows even at a 4-6-5 a, a he can be a, a good NFL player. And maybe he can be. Like Jarvis Landry, I think, ran like a 4-7-something. But yeah, these guys also are looking out for their livelihood and they want to get paid. And if you run a 4-6-5, maybe you prove eventually you should have gone in the first round. But... You get third-round money, not first-round money. And then what happens if you get hurt? You never get that, you know, first-round money kind of contract, right? So he, he's looking out for his best interest, but it definitely is kind of telling. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at, is that – so JSN has the speed concern, and whether or not he's going to have top-end speed. And, yeah, like you said, maybe he ends up being – I know your opinion on Michael Thomas, Alex, is sometimes lukewarm, but Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, DeAndre Hopkins – Keenan Allen, like maybe that's that, quite the guys, range, but okay. Yeah. Those guys project a little bit. I would say to something that JSN, one of those crafty route runner. I know I've always com- uh, p- compared him in the past to Amon Ross St. Brown on the lions. Who's another guy that ran a slower 40 time. So maybe he compares nicely to those players and ends up being a thousand yard receiver. And this looks ridiculous, but it's all about variance in the draft. It's all about, uh, hedging your bets and taking risks in the draft. And is that a risk? You cannot, uh, I'll say it this way. You cannot take 
a four six receiver in the first round. I don't care if he's the best route runner on the planet Earth. You can't do that. And not you just like specifically this team because speed is such a need. Right. You just can't. And then I would also say, you know, with Jordan Addison, I like a lot of aspects of his film, but I have concerns about his ability to finish through contact and play the football down the field and uh, beat press coverage on the outside to the point where maybe he is more of a slot detached receiver that's able to kind of just get and eat up space. Zay Flowers is the one guy that in 14, I still think is a little bit too early unless he absolutely dazzles here uh, over the weekend. But Zay Flowers is the one guy where I'm starting to come around to the idea of him being a first-round talent. I, it, the reports are, I guess, that picture is out there that he's up to, like, 183 now. So he's going to come in at, like, 5'9", 180 pounds with a 4'3". That, that, basically, that profile is what Jalen Waddell came out of the draft a couple of years ago. So it's not too far off. Uh, from what a guy like Waddle was like when he was entering the league. So I think that there's a little bit more support there um, for Zay potentially. But my point being with all these guys, and you can throw Quentin Johnson into this mix as well, I don't love any of them. And for a team that has struck out a bunch at the receiver position at the top of the draft over the years, and a team that desperately needs to hit on a playmaker – the fact that I am not 100% sold on any of them, it tells me that 14 is not a good investment with that pick. So whether it's trading for a receiver in the veteran market uh, or maybe it's just bringing Jacoby Myers back on a reasonable deal and uh, and trying to run it back for a year, I don't love that option. I don't think any of us do. Uh, but I, think I don't that's, think they do. Uh, so- I think that's sort of where I'm at. But I have one more thing to say about this, but uh, go ahead on some of those other guys. No, I was going to say, I don't think they believe that that's the best way to do it. I mean, that, the reports indicate otherwise so far this um, this offseason. I would just say kind of the, the other half of your argument where you're not sold on any of these receivers, and you kind of touched on it there, they've struggled developing at the position. And in what's such a crucial right. year for the offense and what's such a crucial year for Mac Jones, in, I mean, in reality, what's a crucial year for Bill Belichick, do you want to be kind of carrying along a young receiver? Because even if he's good, I mean, it's still a learning process, right? I've said, Evan, I've been saying this to you, I think, since like October. They've got to get a guy that has proven he can do it in this league and knows what it takes to to get it done in this league. And look, some of those names, I don't know if these other GMs at, at the Combine, right, they're saying these players aren't available. Maybe they're really not. Maybe they're just trying to help the, their bargaining position. It's It's very possible. At this time last year, we didn't know A.J. Brown was going to be available. We didn't know Tyreek Hill was going to be available. But they can still, like, there's good contributing players they can get. And it's not necessarily going to cost the bank to do it. I I look at a guy like Jerry Judy, I've talked about a lot. I actually was the one that asked Pat in the question about Judy. Oh, thank you. The other day. Thank you for doing that. And he was very, very tight-lipped about the situation. And... To put that in contrast of the answers about Keenan Allen, the answers about T. Higgins, uh, I think there was one more guy uh, that I can't remember. There definitely was one more, and I was trying to remember this morning when I was writing, but I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't Hopkins, right? I know it was Keenan Allen. I think it was Keenan Allen and Higgins were the ones that the door was completely shut on, right? Where they they said, go get your own receiver, I think was Duke Tobin's Which is a great quote, by the way. Yeah. Great quote. So he... That's the, the one guy that we asked about, other than Hopkins, who's out there request, uh, basically requesting a trade or, or recognizing that his time in Arizona might be coming to an end, and Brandon Cooks, who requested a trade from the Texans. The one other guy that I thought was a little bit quick to answer, tight lip, didn't really say much, uh, was Patton on Jerry Judy. So I didn't get the question into Sean Payton because the Broncos re- reporters and the Broncos contingent there were – you know, all over that him uh, when he was at right. the podium. But I, I was able to get it into their GM, and he, he said that we haven't made a decision on the fifth-year option. That's not really something that we're thinking about right now. Case closed, which tells me, I don't know. I, I, I well, think that they're look, a little bit on the fence about it. They have less than two months to make it. If they're not thinking about it, that tells me that it's not, that they don't plan on being the ones making yeah, that decision. I, he, he mentioned that he was happy with the way that Judy finished the season last year. 
uh, so that it wasn't necessarily a, a shot at Judy not performing or something like that, but it, it wasn't a ringing endorsement about him being a, a future Bronco. Let me put it to you that way. Yep. Again, uh, 855-PATS-500 if you want to call in, Patriots at webradio.com. And, I mean, we can just kind of do a prospect free-for-all here. But, uh, Evan, the other news of the day, obviously the meetings. And really the last two days, I get. let's just go chronologically with this, I guess. Uh, the Patriots sure. met with two of the top edge rushers in this class, a guy in Tyree Wilson, or, you know, this is what the players told uh, the media. Tyree Wilson, who's projected to be a top 10, if not top five pick. So, I don't know, maybe that's a little uh, a little bold. And then Lucas Van Ness from Iowa, who's projected to go in the 20s, so he's a possibility. Very productive player. I will throw this out when it comes to the meetings. Patriots met with, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. It 40-something. I want to say 42 players last year. At least it was reported. They probably met with some other guys. And it never came out. But 42 reported draft meetings last year. The Patriots drafted two of those players. Now, right. they both turned out to be pretty good players, Marcus Jones and Jack Jones. But take all of it with a grain of salt. Also, when it comes to the guys at the top, oh, are they going to trade up? They went to Trevor Lawrence's pro day. And remember, Trevor Lawrence had like a separate pro day from everybody else at Clemson. So... Fact-finding mission. Not only are you considering drafting these guys, but you might have to play against them too. So Yeah, I think that's some of these are definitely about playing against yeah. guys potentially. I would also wonder, you know, Tyree Wilson, his game is predicated on him being the strongest person on the field. Yeah. And he's really a bull-rushing, pocket-denting, uh, strength type of prospect where brick hands, long arms, heavy handed player if you look at the way that the league has drafted at that particular position that edge rushing position the guys that are uh, more bendy more explosive off the ball you know the josh uj types if right. you will those guys are trending upwards on the board because projecting into the nfl uh, most of the guys that rush the quarterback at a high level fit more in the uj mold than fit in the in the tyree wilson mold uh, so maybe the Patriots think that Tyree Wilson has a chance to fall. Uh, I think that's possible. And I'll, uh, I'll add Lucas, this, too. The Patriots generally go against that mold. They like a three-down, edge-setting, disciplined defensive end. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and I think that he's somebody that they would see as a rock-solid 3-4 end yeah. in, in their system that can then kick out a little bit further or even kick inside. Uh, potentially on like a passing down, right? And I right. think that that's something that they uh, could really look at. Now, Lucas Van Ness, I that I would not be on board with that pick. I'm just gonna flat out say his makeup I, is fascinating. Like his entire like draft. If if you were to open the folder and have all the notes, it's really interesting. So, the two things that he's reminds me a ton like i think he's like the george karloftis of this draft exactly like that, that except type of george karloftis had started a game for so people that was who don't what know, i was gonna bring up yeah lucas van so, ness never started a game at iowa that tells you something it does it I, I don't know what it means but it tells you something that you need to dig a little bit into that well right? and let me say this on that iowa's uh, defense is heavily rotational right and I think they viewed him in a role, and it was a th like he still played a lot. Yes, I actually, I it's it's humorous. I actually don't put a ton of stock into it because he was still on the field in every high impact situation, third downs, red zone, all of that. He, he's he's like the sixth man that comes yeah. off the bench, but is in the game he's Manu Ginobili, right? He's Malcolm Brogdon. Right. It's just Iowa football is just sort of goofy this year, and I sort of just as simple as it sounds, I sort of just chalk it up to that. I think the the, the main I, I, the starting thing is just kind of like a, a funny little tidbit, but I, I think the main thing. Look, that I, I don't. I didn't, sorry, one more. Like I I see yeah. some people lumping that in with like the evaluation on uh, Zach Wilson not being a captain. Right. I, it, it's different because he still played. I actually think he was a captain. He might have been, um, but it's not. It's not the same thing as the Zach Wilson thing. He did play 587 snaps last year, even though he didn't start. It's exactly like we just were talking about Uche. Uche might not play on first down, right. but he's playing on second and third down, depending on the down and distance situation, obviously. But, you know, that that rough 
sort of outline. Now, the one thing I didn't like about Van Ness when I watched him on film is uh, he's a one-trick pony. He's a bull rusher. He's a power, speed-to-power guy. I didn't see a ton of plan or, like, counters to his game, and I, I think he's got one move. And in the league, you need to have one move that you can be a foundational move of your game. Then you need to have a counter, and then you probably need to have a counter to the counter, right? right. I think really to be a very good NFL pass rusher, you need three moves. And this guy only has one. So that means that you have to add two more to his toolbox to get him well-rounded enough to be a double-digit, you know, 65-plus pressure type of guy. And if you're drafting that guy in the first round, that's what you want him to eventually be, right? I mean, you're not drafting him in the first round to to not be super productive. So right. I don't love Van Ness. The one thing, uh, and then we can move on from Van Ness, that I wonder is yeah. he went against Skaronsky a ton. He and he owned Skaronsky. He did. So I wonder in that meeting, I would love to know if they asked him about Skaronsky at all and the That's matchups true. against him and what worked against him and what didn't work against him and may use it. I asked him about Skaronsky. So I, I wouldn't be surprised what did he if, say? if team, uh, he said that, uh, you know, he was one of the best players he went up against all the time. He said that they actually go all the way back to high school football against okay. one another. And they, they've been playing against one another for eight years. And he said that every time they played at Northwestern, he circled them. You know, that was the guy yeah. that all the coaches had circled and uh, for the defensive line. And he said that he's a baller. You know, he's a guy that was the toughest guy he had to face every single year. So uh, I don't think he was uh, too – I was he was very complimentary of Skaronsky's game. But I'd be fascinated to see if teams are asking him, like the Patriots, uh, right. about that. Oh, you can totally use players to scout other players. I think yeah. that that's a thing. Um, all right, we'll go chronologically. So the first meeting today, Patriots met with Jake Moody. I, I, I still think kicker's in play. I think kicker's really in play. But I'll say this because people always send me their mock drafts. I appreciate the people do it. I know I can't reply to all of them, but I see them. I look at them. Um, I might have something coming to reply to those in the coming weeks. Stay tuned. I know people send them to you too, Evan. And we did this last year. We've done this the last couple of years. There's always that one kicker punter we're all excited about. And everybody just throws them at the end of their mock draft, right? Uh, Jake Moody's not going to be there at the end of the end of the draft. Probably a no. fifth-round guy, maybe fourth round if a team gets really bold. Sometimes you see kickers move into the fourth round. This is a guy that was uh, the national kicker of the year in 2021, the Big Ten kicker of the year in 2021 and 2022. I mean, they're going to have – if they want to draft him, they have to go and get him. They can't just wait for him, but they met with him again after working with him at the Shrine Bowl. Yeah, and I asked him about working with the Patriots coaching staff at the Shrine Bowl, and the one thing that he said that really stood out to him was that they were acting like he was already a Patriot in their approach of coaching him, and it wasn't – they weren't just going through the motions. You know, they were really coaching him, and I, I think he appreciated that. When we met with the specialist, and I'll admit – that I was one of me and Mike Dusso were one of a handful of degenerates that was in that conference uh, center at 8:30 this morning. Most of the people were probably out at Prime 47 or Kilroy's until four o'clock in the morning last night and didn't make it until corners started at 9:30. Right? Rubbing so elbows. It was a very small contingent in there, but by far the lar- the largest crowd and the number one podium was Jake Moody. So Jake Moody got all sorts of attention. Uh, he was the guy in the room uh, to talk to this morning among the specialists. So I, I think that he's going to get a lot of buzz. I, I agree with you. I, I had him in my mock draft, I think, as a sixth-round pick. And I said I, that I was too I was, low. I told you that was, was too low. Too, you were right. It was too low. I think he could sneak into the fourth round, a team that really wants to draft him, that just doesn't want to lose him in the fifth round. But he's, I don't think Jake Moody's making it out of the fifth round. All right. And then I think this is one a lot of people were waiting for. The cornerbacks spoke after the specialists. All the defensive backs, actually, right? It was safeties as well. Yes. We didn't hear as much uh, from the safeties in terms of Patriots-related uh, meetings or whatever, right? But uh, a number of the projected first-round corners, and there are a lot of first-round corners in this draft, But I'll just run through them real quick, and then we can react. Joey Porter of Penn State, Christian Gonzalez of Oregon, Cam Smith of South Carolina, 
Emmanuel Forbes Jr. from Mississippi State, and then a couple of day two guys as well, Eli Ricks from Alabama and Jay Ward from LSU. Evan, we got to start, though, with Joey Porter Jr. because I've been big on this. I don't think they're going to take him. They traditionally don't take guys from Penn State. Uh, You know, there's the things Joey Porter Sr. has said about the Patriots in the past. Maybe they hashed it all out. Maybe that's what the meeting was because I think he's the best corner in the draft. He was very, very polished, very impressive, held court at his podium for about 20 minutes answering questions, not only from the the Patriots contingent out here, Alex, but also from the Baltimore contingent out here and about his father in the rivalry with the Ravens and things like that. And uh, he gave great answers to all of it. He said to the Baltimore thing, that that's his dad's problem, right? That's his dad's that's rivalry. A, that's a great answer. Uh, it's not nothing to do with him. Uh, he said to the Patriots question that he actually thinks that his father would be happy about him going to the Patriots because of Bill Belichick and the system defensively and the fact that he would probably thrive with those two things. So from a football perspective, I, I think that there's a lot to love about his makeup. He's very poised, confident. He didn't get up there and feel like he had to be this like aggressive rah-rah guy like his father, right? He was his own person up there. And and I would also, um, he, he reminded me a lot of Patrick Sertan a couple of years ago, whose father was of course, Patrick Sertan senior in the NFL for a long time. And the the way he approached the, the interview and is approaching this whole process, you can just tell that he's been coached off the field as well by his dad and brought along by his dad to be the best pro that he can be and set himself up to be drafted as high as he can go. He mentioned that his parents sat him down last year. He wanted to come out early uh, from Penn State. And, and his parents sat him down and said, uh, you're not ready. Like maturity wise, you're not ready. You might be ready football wise, but you're not ready in terms of maturity. And he, he, he said he took it hard that he was, you know, uh, he was upset that his parents didn't see his parents felt like he was still a kid right, and needed right. to grow up a little bit more. And, and he said he took it hard, but he went back to school and he, he said it was the best thing for him in the end. And he was really happy about it. The one thing I, I asked him about, uh, we know you're big, we know you're physical, the wingspan, all that kind of stuff. What's like the one thing that you feel like is being slept on about your game? And uh, he mentioned play speed and, and, and straight line speed. He feels like he's going to run faster in the 40 than people give him credit for. So we'll see what he ends up putting up time-wise. But my, my big picture thing as we go through these meetings yeah. with the corners, I've asked some people here, uh, what what's the best position group in the draft? And a lot of people have said tight end, which is the consensus. I think a lot of people love this tight end class, but more and more people that you ask are saying corner. Yeah. And I, I think corner is the best. I think corner. Yeah. I had one person say to me that they think that 20 corners are going to go in the top 100 of this draft. I have. So I didn't include slot corners when I did my, my breakdown. I didn't include slot corners. I only did guys six, one and taller. I have 15 corners in the top 100. I have it's a loaded group. Eight with first round grades. I don't think all eight go in the first round, but I think some combination of those eight end up going in the first round. This corner class is absurd, but it, so there are options. Uh, one guy we've kind of circled for the Patriots. So I said like Joey Porter. We've wondered this and that with the Patriots consider him. They met with them. A guy I think a lot of people, myself included, you included, like for the Patriots, is Devin Witherspoon. So did he talk today? I didn't see anything no. from him. So he was stuck at medical, uh, which has happened okay. in the past. It happened yesterday as well with a, a top prospect that didn't make it out. I, I can't remember who it was, but it, it's not necessarily mean that they found something and they had to you know, get him further. Oh, no, it's, it's like a whole that. process. I'm sure it gets backed right. up and his last name starts with a W. I bet they do it alphabetically. So he's kind of at the end there. No, I, I could totally see that. Right, so he didn't talk, but just walking around the room today during the corner, uh, the couple rounds of corners, the other thing that really stood out was how big all these guys are. Yeah. They're, they, they all, you know, obviously there are like the Travavius, Hodges, Thomas. Travius. I can't say that. Travius. Travius. Jeez. Can't Much talk. easier than there you're making are, it. 
there are Travis Thomas Thomasons. There are Clark Phillips, who's a little bit of a smaller corner. But besides that, you're walking around this room, and these guys are big. I mean, they're all big. Uh, Keely Ringo, Joey Porter, Christian Gonzalez is is huge. I mean, he's like 6'2", got to be 6'2", 200 pounds. A big, big kid. Uh, he was really impressive as well. Uh, he talked about a little bit about, you know, the different coverage styles that Oregon played. I uh, mentioned that press man was their base, but they had a lot of match zone as well in their system that they ran. And so he, he did a little bit of both of those things. Uh, he, I, it, him and Joey Porter Jr. Uh, were, were the most impressive, both physically, uh, just looking at them and, and also in terms of the interviews. And I think both of them are going to be off the board quickly and, and potentially uh, targets at 14 for the Patriots. I just quickly, I, I don't really fully understand. And Alex, I, I think you agree with me on this. I don't really fully understand the pushback about corner in the first round from people that I sometimes hear when we bring it up. The Patriots system, whether it's been Ty Law, uh, Darrell Revis, Akeem Tlaib, Stephon Gilmore, they've won Super Bowls when they have a number one corner. Granted, they've won Super Bowls when they had Tom Brady too, but I'm just talking about it from a defensive perspective. The Patriots want to play man-to-man. They tell us that all the time when we talk to the coaching staff. They want to play man-to-man. And right now they have a, a handful of really solid, good corners, but they don't have any elite corners. And they they need, for their system to thrive, that's what they need. And I hear a lot of, too, well, they're great at UDFAs. They're great at finding diamonds in the rough at that position. Why would you take one in the first round? And, and there's some truth to that. J.C. Jackson, Malcolm Butler, John Jones. But those are any of those guys number one corners, Alex? Like, are any of those guys number one corners? And the guys that are number one corners in the history of the Patriots, they've had to go out and pay a bag to in free agency to get them on the team or trade for them like to leave. So they've had to go to the veteran market because they haven't invested a a top 32 pick on a cornerback in the Belichick era besides Devin McCourty, who ended up being a safety. So they, that premium talent is something that's important to their secondary. And you only find that at the top of the draft. Like these UDFAs might be nice finds, but they're not number one cornerbacks. So my pushback on corner at 14 would be two things. One, I just think the way they've operated the last couple of years, the biggest hole on the depth chart, regardless of position, the biggest hole on the depth chart is the first pick. It was quarterback in 2021. It was, they didn't use a first-round pick in 2020. It was quarterback in 2021, and it was a guard last year. And by the way, there's a bolt when Matt Groh stepped into this new role that he's in. So maybe, and, and if we think Matt Groh is going to have a bigger role this year, then maybe even more so. And tackle right now is... You look at it, fill out the depth chart. You can fill out the depth chart at corner. If they had to play a game today, you can fill out the depth chart at corner. Can't fill it out at tackle. You really can't do it. Not to, to be game ready anyway. It's a fair point. And, and, and the other thing I would add is, so you talk about, yeah. all right, well, you can only get this kind of talent in the first 32 picks. Uh, Evan, if this was... I hate to do this because I think it's kind of a stupid argument, but it's the only way I can make the point. You just kind of have to be open-minded and let me do this. Joey Porter Jr., Devin Weatherspoon are generational talents. Those two guys don't come along in every draft. Two of them in one draft is absurd. Take those two guys out. Let's say this is some other draft, right? There are guys you can get. Who who are some of the guys we think are in play at at, at 46? Guy like Tyreek Stevenson. Uh, a guy like Julius Brents, if he runs well. Uh, 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 from Maryland, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Deontay Banks. Deontay Banks, right? These are guys who, Banks, maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but these are guys who are going to be on the board of 46. Take Porter and Witherspoon out, the generational talents. We're talking about those guys at 14, aren't we? We're talking about those guys as potential top 15 picks because that's their talent level. Them going in the second round is not dictated by how talented they are necessarily. It is to an extent, obviously, because I don't think they're on the level of Porter or Witherspoon. But in most drafts, a player that talented is going to go in the first round. It's just not the case this year because the class is so loaded. So I think you can take a corner at 46. 
that you might get at 14 in another year. So to say you can only find that kind of talent at 14, I think is it's an incomplete argument because you're not acknowledging the kind of talent that's in this class. Okay, so I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It it, it could be 46, but I, I think that looking at these corners, talking to them, watching them on film before I got here, there's this is a draft where you got to take a corner in the first two rounds just because you got to get your I'll even give you top 100. I'll even give you top 100, Evan. Sure, top 100. But you got to take one of these. You have to take a, a bite at the apple in this yes. group, right? It's so hang such on. a great group. Sorry, it's a cut you off there. It's tougher when we're not together in person. <laughs> Let's do a little exercise here. You said that uh, 20 corners. Somebody thinks 20 corners are going to go in the top 100, right? Yes. All right. Let's see. Let's see where the 20th corner went last year. Should we do this and kind of, because I think this is a good way to display it. There okay. were four corners went in the first round. Five, six, seven, eight, nine through two rounds. 10, 11, 12 through three rounds. So there were only 12 corners on the first two days last year. You're saying there's going to be 20 in that range. We keep going. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. The 20th corner last year, Evan, was Kobe Durant out of South Carolina State was the second-to-last pick of the fourth round, 142nd overall. So, again, think about that. that That's the range the corners went in last year, basically four rounds. We're saying that the same number of corners in this class are going to go in half the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah As I to, mean, like, how okay. good this class is? We have our And, by guys, the way, like... you want to know who corner 21 was last year? Oh. Tariq Wollin. Yeah. Was corner twenty one. He was the fir- uh, first corner picked in the fifth round. So we have our guys. Like you, I know we both pretty much like Brent's. I I like Banks from Maryland. I'm sure there's guys that you like as well that that I I'm not necessarily as high on. We haven't really talked a ton about Cam Smith and Manuel Forbes though, who I think are two guys that Forbes. Are also- Forbes, I'm starting to get very high on. I didn't do a ton of work on him early. He was kind of towards the bottom of my list, but I've started to, and he, he's really impressive. So his technique is really raw. He, he He's somebody that I think has a lot of technique work left to go, which is when I tend to watch these guys and try to rank them and things like that, I, I always I, – I like the guys that are technically sound, right? The guys that are, yeah. are finished in that regard a little bit more. So he's a little bit overreactive at the line of scrimmage. He gets get, – he, he opens up a little bit faster than you would like with – fakes and route releases and things like that. He overreacts a little and he gets a little bit grabby and uh, his transitions at the top of the route are, are not as smooth as some of the other guys. So those are some of the things I saw on film with him, but I'm, I'm kind of in the minority. I think with him, I think that a lot of people really like him, and to the point where if he tests well this weekend and I, I might need to go back and rewatch well, the film and, and see what I didn't see the first time, because there, there's a lot of really positive reviews about him and, He's supposed to test pretty well. I think the one thing is, is that he's, he has great stats. Like his ball production was decent. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not just great. And and this is where I want to jump in. He had 14 picks in three years at Mississippi yeah, State in the SEC. I'll, I'll, I'll add last year alone, six picks, or sorry, 10 pass breakups, six picks. Three of those were pick sixes. So, right. so he produces. But I went back and, and, and watched all of his interceptions from last year. Yeah. And I hate to do this to him, but like some, a lot of them are pretty fluky. Like, you know, the, the one that everybody posts is the one he jumps the screen. But isn't there Remember something Brown? to be said for being in the right place at the right time at that position? There is, but like I need guys that can cover down the field. So here, and, here's what I'd say. Sorry to keep cutting you off, but I think we're going okay. in the same direction. I basically want to make the point before you do. I don't think of he's I don't think he's like a lockdown like Stefan Gilmore Darrell Rivas kind of corner. He's a ball hawk. The question right. is, is he JC Jackson or is he Trayvon Dix? Yeah, that that that's I think a fair I think Trayvon Diggs is probably the guy that he's hoping to become in the league. That that that's 
that's a decent comparison. I, I just think, well, Trayvon Diggs, first of all, he he took another step forward last year for Dallas and has really become a, a very good mirror uh, corner, you know, good shadow corner now. So he's somebody that I think is really elevated past just the ball hawking and the J.C. Jackson, you know, Asante Samuel type of corner. I, I don't know. I just didn't. I saw some some stuff on film with Emmanuel Forbes. I wasn't uh, too crazy about technique wise, like I had just mentioned. And a lot, go back and actually watch some of the interceptions that he had last year. How much of those are were right place, right time versus this was just a great rep by the corner. And I think that if you're a team and you're looking to translate to the next level, you have to be focused a little bit on. The second thing, great rep by the corner, not necessarily, oh, you know, he jumped a screen pass and Will Levis threw it right to him. That was the that was the one against Kentucky, I think, is the one that gets circulated a lot. It, remember the pick six that Kyle Duggar had in Vegas yeah. this past season? It's the same exact play. And But that's a play the Patriots are going to love because how did Duggar make that play? He told us. He saw the look on film and he knew to be ready for it. That's what they want. I guess I just I I don't know I'm not trying to bash him. Cam Smith is the other one too uh, that I, I think is somebody that's going to get drafted early, top fifty, top sixty uh, type of player. A lot of people uh, have him as a lock first rounder, so you're yeah, lower on he, him than most. He's really physical, uh, really good in press man coverage. I'll tell you the reason why I wasn't. And I asked him about it because I was just curious. Uh, the reason why I wasn't super high on him is because of his game against Jalen Hyatt against Tennessee. Uh, where you, I'm going to just, he was afraid. He was afraid. Like he was afraid to get in Jalen Hyatt's face and really challenge Jalen Hyatt coming off the line of scrimmage. He played eight yards off of him the entire game. And in, in the end, I, I think that South Carolina's defense got what they wanted, which was Hyatt had to sit every route down underneath the defense and really didn't get vertical too much on him like he had in previous games. But when I see that, like I want, if I'm drafting a corner early, I want that alpha mentality. Like I don't care that you're the favorite to win the Bolitnikov. I'm gonna get in your face and I'm gonna take you out of this game. Playing eight yards off and letting him catch a six-yard hitch against you every single time—that doesn't take anything, right? Like, like a lot of guys can do right. that. So that that was sort of where I was with Cam Smith. He mentioned the option routes that Tennessee ran all season long, where it's it's a conversion. They let Jalen Hyatt decide if it's off coverage, he's going to sit it down. If it's man, he's going to run a deep vertical, right? And, and they were trying to get him to convert it to to sit down. They didn't want Jalen Hyatt to get up the field on them. I would have liked to have seen them let Cam Smith, who I think is one of the more physical corners in this draft, actually get in his face and challenge. And, and they didn't really do that. Any thoughts on any of the other corners they talked to? I think we touched on everybody. Uh, oh, we didn't get to Christian Gonzalez. And then any thoughts on the the day two guys, Eli Ricks or yeah, Jay Ward? Yeah, so I, I mentioned Christian Gonzalez a little bit off the top. Uh, I thought he was really impressive on film. I think the one thing that you look at with Christian Gonzalez, I think out of any of the guys in this draft, he's the most scheme-versatile player at the position in the draft where you can play a man-match man zone all across the board, right? He just, he can do all of it. And I don't know if some of these guys uh, that we're talking about are very scheme-specific players. And if they fit the scheme for the Patriots, then that could end up being a home run pick. But I think Christian Gonzalez is the one guy that's that's fluid. He can do everything. And, and that's, I think, going to be something that, uh, that I, I believe is going to be more and more prevalent with the Patriots as it's been more and more prevalent with the entire league, which is you got to be able to spin the dial on, on these quarterbacks, like these Josh Allen's, Patrick right. Mahomes, Joe Burrows. Burrow. If you just sit in the, and we, we used to remember this all the time, Alice with Brady, right? If right. you just sit in the same coverage all game long, he's going to pick you apart. So the Patriots have played more split safety. They've played more zone recently. And I think a guy like Christian Gonzalez fits in that ability to do it all. And, and I think that that was one of the things we were talking about when I was asking him some questions was just, he mentioned that press man was Oregon's bread and butter, but I had seen on film him make some really good pass offs in zone and had show great awareness in zone coverage as well. And I think that that's something that he feels like he can do pretty good too. So I don't, I think Christian Gonzalez might end up being the first corner taken in this draft. 
uh, especially after he tests this weekend. But I, I really am very high on him for the Patriots. He's, I think he's the number one for me uh, for the Pats because of that ability. I think Joey Porter Jr. can play man and probably cover three at a high level. I, I think Christian Gonzalez can play any coverage scheme at a pretty good level. Any thoughts on the, the day two guys, Warder Ricks? So Ricks, we had uh, Mike Rodak. I'm sure you remember him. Yeah. Uh, on from uh, on our podcast on the on the roundup today on Patriots Unfiltered uh, that you can check out on Patriots.com. And uh, he had mentioned that he had uh, Ricks had a lot of he transferred right from LSU from LSU. Yeah. And uh, he said that he had a lot of problems picking up Nick Saban's playbook. Okay. That he really struggled with that. Saban was open about it. Ricks was open about it. So when they he transferred from LSU, everybody at Alabama thought that he was going to be a day one immediate starter and contributor in their defense, a star in their defense, and was supposed to be a, a first round pick. He was a consensus a preseason All American, like all of those types of things, and it didn't work out at Alabama as well as any, everybody had hoped. So maybe he's a guy that third fourth round you take a chance on a little bit but because of the ability you end up getting a really good player uh, i'm not sure if they're how they're going to view though that he couldn't pick up Saban's playbook i think that's going to be a little bit concerning and then the one other meeting today so this was reported uh he hasn't spoken yet he'll speak on tomorrow right is yes. anthony richardson from, yes anthony richardson from florida i am personally infatuated with Anthony Richardson as a football player because uh, all right, Evan, what, what, what's the word I use uh, to describe Josh Allen erratic? Anthony Richardson makes Josh Allen look like a precision scientific instrument. And like Drew Brees. What, right. And that's not necessarily a knock. I think Richardson's highs are higher than Allen's, but his lows are lower. He is, I mean, in terms of the physical talent, the arm strength, uh, the his ability to run the ball, his ability to break tackles in the pocket, uh, his, his the way he trusts his arm. I mean, high, high, high-level stuff. But it's not, that's when he's on. And it's not always there. I mean, he, he could throw five touchdowns in a game and throw five picks in a game. Like, you don't know going in. If he ends up in the right situation, he's going to be a top three quarterback in the league. But... If he doesn't end up in the right situation, it could go south pretty quickly. He, With all of that, there's enough to like that I think he goes in the top 10. Most people have him as the fourth quarterback. I have him third. I have him ahead of Levis. I, do I think the Patriots are legitimately interested? I don't think that they're moving up to take a quarterback in this draft. They're going to have to move up to get him. He's not going to be there at 14. But what I do look at, when I look at potential fits for Anthony Richardson... The Colts are going to be up there. They need a quarterback. They're on the Patriots' schedule next year. The Washington Commanders, it would be tough for them to move up that far, but they could. They need a quarterback. They're on the Patriots' schedule next year. Uh, the New Orleans Saints might be in the market for a quarterback. They're on the Patriots' schedule next year. The New York Giants, depending on what happens with Daniel Jones, might be looking to draft a quarterback. And by the way, I don't think there's a better place for Richardson to go than the Giants with Brian Dayball, who maximized Josh Allen. And also, how about Josh McDaniels? He just let his quarterback go. They're on the Patriots' schedule next year. Talked about this earlier, Evan. Getting to know players you're going to face as much as getting to know players There's you might draft. Team. Who? The pick before the Patriots. Oh, that's true. I didn't even, you're right. I have, I'm so like mentally locked into them and Rodgers. You're right. The Jets. Yes. The Jets would be a very interesting landing spot for Anthony Richardson. If the Jets end up signing Derek Carr to a two-year contract and then they draft Anthony Richardson at 13. That's kind of scary. They end up signing Jimmy Garoppolo. That's less scary. If they they sign Jimmy Garoppolo, Richardson will be the starter by the end of the year. But your point stands. Yeah. I think so. Interesting they met with him. Tremendously interesting player. I think they're trying to get to know a future opponent more than they're getting to know a guy they might diligence. I agree. Yeah. So I think the cool thing about Anthony Richardson on film, and I, I'm a huge Anthony Richards, Richardson fa- uh, fan. Yes, we both are. Let's I, I make that know, clear. We both are big fans of his. I don't know if I'm going to do a real deep dive into Anthony Richardson's tape, Anthony Richardson's tape, but 
from what I have seen of him. I think the the one thing that stands out. You don't want to watch his tape just because again he's like such an electric player. I feel like yeah, it'll just be a fun I, I breakdown guess. to do. I guess yeah, you can do that before they play him this year. So I, the the big thing that I see with him on film though is that it's not it's not a lack of cerebralness. Like he's got no, it's not. He, he's got processing skill. He's got a manipulation from the pocket. Uh, he's got he's a quarterback. Like he yeah. understands how to play quarterback. He's got mechanical flaws that lead to accuracy and ball placement issues. He doesn't have uh, uh it's not decision making, right. right? It's not like poor processing or poor coverage of reads and manipulation. It is purely a mechanical issue. Right. And as we evolve as a football uh cognoscenti, I think we are recognizing more and more that you can teach accuracy. That used to be the old the old trope was that you can't make a quarterback accurate, right? That that's one thing that he's if a quarterback's inaccurate entering the NFL, he's always going to be inaccurate. And I know that Josh Allen is maybe not like you shouldn't just put all your eggs in one player's development's basket. Right. But I think more and more what we're seeing is quarterbacks entering the league that have improved accuracy over time with mechanical work. I think quarterback coaches like uh, obviously the great Tom House or Jordan yeah. Palmer or Quincy Avery, I think they're a big part of it in the offseason that they take these guys in and they train them all offseason long on footwork and uh, lining up, I always say, feet, hips, shoulders, head, right? Like those are the the points. You, everything needs to be in cohesion right. and lined up correctly to have a good throw. And I think that these quarterbacks, coaches, are really working on all that stuff. So if you're a team in the top 10 of this draft that needs a quarterback, you can fix Anthony Richardson. He is fixable because he has a cerebral ability to play the quarterback and obviously to playmake. So I think there is a lot of fixable things about his, his right. game that teams are going to really gravitate to. But again, you actually have to do it. It's not automatically going to happen. And that goes back to my point of he's got to go to the right spot. If he goes to a place with bad coaching, like you look at what happened with Trevor Lawrence, right, a year ago. It's got to be a team that knows how to fix him, which, again, is why I look at, like, the Giants would be a great fit. The Raiders would be a great fit. We saw what McDaniels did with Mac, obviously. Some of these other teams where the coaching's a little more shaky, or maybe it's mostly defensive coaches on the staff. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I look like, you know, I, I brought it up, but I look at a team like the Jets. Yeah. You're Anthony Richardson, and you saw what that regime did to Zach Wilson. Exactly. I don't think you're too well, bullish about going to the Jets. I mean, that's fair, but also how much of that did Zach Wilson do to himself? A little bit, but now they have Nathaniel Hackett, right, running their offense. He's the offensive Yeah, no, see, now. I might feel a little better about it, actually. Uh, Hackett. I I, uh, after what he did in Denver it last year. Rogers. Still... He worked with Rodgers. Yeah, that's fair. I look at more like the Colts, who had, what, like four coaches in five years or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Steichen is a good – Steichen's like this, you know, he's, he's the – McVeigh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury model, right? You know, he's how's that going? He, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I just Richardson's I he's just at, fascinating. He's fascinating. He is. And, and I, I agree with you on him with Will Levis. Like I take him over Will Levis. I personally what are you hearing about Will Levis there? Mixed reviews. Like I think some people are less high on him than than the media, and then some people are Mel Kiper. Right, who are you think they think that he's a, a locked top ten, you know, maybe even number one quarterback type of guy. I think that the the guy that I think is the most polarizing here, other than Richardson, it is gotta be Bryce Young. But I, I would also say that CJ Stroud is pretty polarizing right now as well. Well, because it's not and, a great quarterback class and we're forcing these guys to the top. Also, I don't think Young's polarizing. I think we just don't have his measurements yet. Once we get his measurements, yeah, we, we have the answer. I think C.J. Stroud, a lot of the things that you hear about C.J. Stroud is a uh, touch thrower, right? He's more of like a touch thrower than a real uh, velocity guy. And is that velocity there? And he just didn't he didn't use that pitch as often as the, as the touch throws? Or what's the case there? I think you hear some of that. I think you also hear some of... Marvin Harrison Jr. and the offensive weapons that he had around him at the receiving position, just and the fact that he is protected by maybe two of the best tackles in the draft. Uh, he had a nice situation and didn't always live up to it last year until maybe the playoff game. 
So I think that there's some, uh, you know, question marks about all of these guys, I guess is the best way to put it. But if you're going to take a chance on anybody, I definitely think that the more and more you talk to people and sort of listen in and things like that, uh, Anthony Richardson is the chance guy. Like that's yeah. the guy that, that everybody has a hundred percent bought in. If you're going to take a, t- a little bit, you're willing to take a little bit of a chance at the top of the draft. Yeah, it's more than a little bit. It's more than a little bit, but he's a quarterback, but yeah. yeah. I'll just say this with Levis. And by the way, my bold, bold prediction is that assuming he checks out physically and like he's ready to go for the start of the season, by the time we get to draft night, Hendon Hooker's going to have passed Will Levis. That's my bold I, prediction. I guess it depends about the medicals. So that's what I'm saying. If the medicals check out, I just, I look at Levis because I, there's a reason I asked you what people think. I, he didn't throw the ball a ton at Kentucky. That was a very, very run heavy offense and not necessarily him running the ball. He ran for 300 yards two years ago. Last year, they really only used him on kneel downs. He finished with negative 100 rushing yards when you factor in sacks the way college football does it. His touchdown-to-interception ratio is less than 2-1. to one. He only threw the ball 283 times, which the Falcons draft him. We get another 28-3 reference. But, like, he, he doesn't handle pressure well. I'm, I'm still tr- struggling to see just, like, what his carrying trait is other than he has a big arm. Or is this just Josh Allen hype run totally out of control? Yeah, no, that that is the... And if the that's the case... The physical if that's the case... Richardson has much better physical tools than he does. Why is right. Richardson yeah. projected higher? I, I I don't think that there are very many people outside of maybe like the big J draft analysts that have him higher than Richardson at this point. I think they're, the Kuypers and the McShays of the world are going to have him above Richardson because of that's just who they are. Uh, you know, they're, they're I won't get into that, but that, that I think they're going to have it above, above uh, Richardson with Levis, but I, I don't the, the people that I talk to um, are not in that camp. Let me put you that way. I think everybody here really likes Anthony Richardson a lot. So we'll see what ends up happening with the quarterbacks. Again, you know, the Patriots are not in the quarterback market. The Patriots are not in the quarterback market. I know some people want them to be in the quarterback market, but the Patriots aren't in the quarterback market. Maybe, maybe they're in a, a in on a fourth round guy. I could see that. Yeah, they have a couple picks in the fourth round, so uh, they have some extra ammo there. Maybe they use it to take a flyer on somebody on a a, a uh, your guy from B, BYU, for example, Jaren maybe Hall. or Jaron Hall, or uh, maybe a little bit later in the draft on day three, they they take a DTR or something like that, just to have somebody else in the pipeline, but. When, I, when you go back and look at it, and this is what I think people need to realize with the whole quarterback thing as well, everybody points to the Eagles as this model of don't don't settle, right? They didn't settle on Carson Wentz. They still took Jalen Hurts in the second round, and look at what it did. It, MVP candidate, Super Bowl appearance with Jalen Hurts. Right. Carson Wentz was drafted in 2016. Jalen Hurts was drafted in 2020. So... We're talking about the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts two off seasons from now in the Patriots timeline. It's not, and the other, it's not necessarily about that. It's a bad approach. It's just too early. Like it's too early in Mac Jones' career to be to be. You should be giving Mac Jones more tools in his tool belt, not using a pick on his backup quarterback. I understand the thought process, but. We're just too early in Mac Jones' rookie contract to be doing this. And the other thing is, all right, so they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. All right, so go draft a second-round quarterback. He'll turn into Jalen Hurts. Don't you think if every second-round quarterback turned into Jalen Hurts, the entire second round would be teams taking quarterbacks? Right. It's not a guarantee that a Jalen Hurts-type player is there. I think this year especially, in a weak quarterback class, that guy's not there. So it's it's a bit of a logical fallacy to me. Uh I think we got to everything. Evan, I know we did a a full combine preview last week, but as the workouts get underway here momentarily, anything specific you're now like even more excited for having been there? I do think this cornerback room is good. This group of corners is going to put on a show tomorrow. Uh, I don't know about today. I- I'm interested to see some of these edge rushers, maybe some of the off ball linebackers like, you know, Drew Sanders or, 
uh, your guy, Henry Toto, Noah Sewell from Oregon. Yeah. And just to see if any of these guys have, have some rare freaky athleticism, because it's not a great well, linebacker class. The guy it's going to be is DeMarvin Overshaw. You didn't even say him. Uh, yeah, but you know he's he's I w- I don't know what he weighed in at today. Maybe we, um, I think those are going to come out here shortly, so maybe we'll see. Um, but I I just I mean more of like a, a guy that weighs like two forty plus and can move right. You know somebody like that because I they're not going to draft a two hundred and twenty five pound linebacker. They're, they're just not. So maybe it's somebody like a, I think Sanders is uh, probably two thirty five two forty. If he's a really good athlete, um, Jack Campbell from Iowa, maybe I, he kind of is like the Leo Chanel of this draft class, I think. And, and maybe he's somebody that has a really good workout and moves up the board a little bit. I don't love the linebacker class, but I, I understand that that need has been pushed down the, the the list because, A, I think we're all sick and tired of, of wanting it and not getting it. Right. And B, I think the other thing is uh, that, you know, these other needs are just more pressing at more premium positions at this point. But I think linebacker, off ball linebacker, uh, may- maybe they take an Ivan Pace from Cincinnati or something like that, too, uh, as someone that, that they can get that has a little bit of speed and explosiveness. So we are getting some measurements in now. I want to see before we end this if Overshones have come in does look like they're doing defensive linemen first, so maybe not. I love, by the way, there's two guys named Byron Young in this draft, and teams have to, like, differentiate. People have to differentiate which one. What are the odds that, like, a team accidentally drafts the wrong Byron Young? Because it's supposed to go in the same range in the draft, too. It's definitely possible. Uh, Okay, it doesn't look like— It's not possible. That was No, it it wouldn't happen. Uh, It doesn't (laughs) look like we have overshone yet. We do have Andre Carter, 6'6 and a half, 256. So he's put on a little bit of weight. Yeah, so he— We'll see about him. Interesting, we'll interesting player. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Catch 22. Evan will be back in the building next week. We'll recap the combine. We will look at a free agency. We'll be a week out from yes. free agency at this time next week. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to the Catch 22 podcast wherever you get your podcasts. At Easy Lazar on Twitter, at Real Alex Barth on Twitter as well. Uh, Until the next one, we'll talk to you. Enjoy the combine, everybody. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.